0: Ours is a podcast of the Forsaken. I am your leader, the Banshee Queen, the Dark Lady, and you are listening to Corpse Run Radio. This is Corpse Run Radio.
1: We are the Forsaken, the Forsaken.
2: Welcome to episode 101 of Corpse Run Radio. We only have less than a month now before WoW Classic comes out, and I'm in the process of creating a launch episode for that event. But today, on this episode, I'll distinctly avoid anything that's related to content that is in Classic, There is one segment that talks about stuff that was not in Vanilla, but happened later. But that is the final segment of this episode. So I hope you enjoy the show today. We have content from So So Breezy, Hazelnutty Games, A Song from Charm, Noble 87 has a lore segment, and we have a segment by... Hero Mario deck. Again, I hope you enjoy it. And let's start with So So Breezy. Great new features in Patch 8.2.5 because we just got a blue post about some of the new content. And he is taking us through stuff that is mentioned in that blue post. Here is So So Breezy.
3: Hello, it's all with another video and hi now that the weekend's over uh, now that the world first race is over and a big congratulations to method it's time to look forward to the future just today Blizzard sent out development notes for the upcoming patch 8.2.5 and now we're back doing patch coverage all over again so why am I talking about developer notes today it's because I'm actually I'm actually pretty excited about what I have to share, so listen up. First, the assets for the 15 year anniversary of World of Warcraft are going to be contained in this .5 patch. That includes a little dragon person that you get when you log in, as well as this cool anniversary event that will reward us the Obsidian Worldbreaker, which is basically Deathwing, who's a mount. Since we're getting these particular assets now, it's safe to say that Blizzard is probably planning to not release patch 8.3 before the second half of November, which is typically when this anniversary stuff takes place. Keep in mind though that Blizzard has released assets well ahead of time, think about the Nighthold for example, but I'm going to hold on to my predictions that 8.3 is not going to come in like December or so, it's probably going to come early January 2020. So feel free to speculate all you want, I just wanted to get that thought out. Alliance players will finally get the questline to unlock the bee mount, a mount asset that has been around since the Legion Alpha, since the bee was used as a travel mount uh, up till now. For all the salt that Alliance players have been throwing around over their lack of cool mounts, hey, here's the cool mount, uh, unless you don't like bees, then I guess the Horde awaits. Moving on, Worgen and Goblin models are going to finally receive an update eight years after their launch way back in the Cataclysm expansion. As for like Heritage armor, nothing, no word on that yet. Another time walking raid has been chosen, like most people were hoping for. Firelands is going to be the raid that defines Cataclysm time walking, so that's going to come in the first instance of Cataclysm time walking after the patch. So you're probably not going to get it right when the patch comes out. Maybe like a couple weeks maybe a few months after, but hey, it's coming. Take your friends and the faceless pugs to the fiery wastelands where you can riot, you can fly next to a bird and make that golem spin round and round. Haha! <laughs> Recruiter Friend is coming back with a few changes. Instead of a two-way partnership between you and the person you talk to joining or rejoining the game, Recruiter Friend will now encourage you to pretty much spam as many of your friends and non-friends as you can because multiple people can sign up with you simultaneously to help you obtain rewards. So for every monthly sub that you and your Recruits sign up for. You can earn unique pets, mounts, even game time. It almost seems like a pyramid scheme, but it's more like uh, it's more like Facebook spamming, I guess. I mean, I do like the fact that it's uh, a constant thing that's going on. Like you don't have to go around getting another friend to set up uh, some brand new WoW accounts just for the sake of the recruiter friend system. Of course, I can see the following happening too. <laughs> What's up, fam? S breezy. I've been here. Smash that follow button, and if you ain't already playing a World of Warcraft, what are you waiting for? Check out the link and give it a go. You'll be having fun, and you'll be helping me out too. Oh, don't forget, make Bob dance and donate all them dollars. And primes up, 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 So in a nutshell, Blizzard 2019, the recruiter friend system. Maybe instead we can call it the... the Shilla-Friend system. Ah! The last thing that Blizzard mentioned in this announcement is a new gameplay slash social feature called Party Sync. I'm gonna read their post and then talk about how I'm understanding this. When players activate Party Sync, everyone in the party becomes aligned to the same quest state, including phases. By mousing over a quest in your tracker, you can see who is on the quest, what their progress is, and who's ready to turn in the quest. There's something else we're going to try out on the PTR, a replay quest feature. This will allow players who have already completed certain quests to replay those quests with their friends for rewards that are appropriate to their current level, regardless of the original level of the quest. We're also relaxing level restrictions on queuing for instance content with your friends. This allows lower level players to queue for content in their level range, and higher level players can choose to join them by having their level scaled down while they're in the instance. This feature will be available for dungeon instances for PTR Week 1, with PvP instances being flagged in the following weeks. Please note that unlike Time Walking, when your level is scaled down via Party Sync, you will temporarily lose access to abilities and powers such as Azurite traits with requirements that exceed your reduced level. So there's a lot to unpack with this whole party sync thing, but this is a full package of features that sums up to a pretty cool system so far, at least that's how I feel about it. So first it reads like level syncing is going to sync party members down and not up to the person with the least quest progression in a given quest so then everyone can play together. This really excites me because for years we lived in a world of phasing craft where people not on the same quests weren't just not on the same quest but we literally couldn't see or interact or help each other out. So by getting everyone on the same page, now we can, and that's freaking cool. Okay, it's more like, okay, it's not so much as cool as it is like, dude, finally, it's about freaking time you get this thing in here. Gosh, Blizz. Next, stepping up from just being on the same uh, quest state, you can replay quests that you've already completed. Because when you think about it, being on a different phase because you're on a different part of a quest, like that's one thing. That's That's kind of minor, but with this replay quest feature, you can cover something that's much bigger, the events where you are just on completely different quest lines as someone else. Think about it like this. You can hop into your friend's BFA war campaign. Even though you completed this thing like months and months and months ago, you can go back and replay this stuff with them. On top of that, the quest rewards will be appropriate to your level, but keep in mind that it's probably not going to be like, Item level appropriate, so don't count on getting like super epic gear. Um, this may affect the twink economy at first glance. That's just something that came to mind, but I don't have personal knowledge on the subject, so I at least wanted to bring that up so you can, so you folks at home and elsewhere can share your thoughts. Finally, players will be able to take their high-level characters and party up with their lower-level friends in dungeons. So from the sounds of it I can take my level 120 character I can party up with someone who's level 40 they happen to be party leader they queue up for Scarlet Monastery Cathedral and there we go off we go and I get leveled down I'm scaled down to level 40 with level 40 stats and level 40 abilities and I and from the from the look of the reading I'm not going to have certain abilities because I'm only level 40 my reactions to this are the same stuff as the rest of this party sync thing. It's about time that they have some way to kind of, uh, I guess a mentoring system is what comes to mind. I'm trying to remember those old features from back in the day because this sort of feature is old. And so it, it's, it's nice that Blizzard is finally bringing it to the present. Party sync appears to serve a simple Blizzard mandate to allow more players to play together. The level scaling that happened in patch 735, that did a lot to revive older content and to get more people playing together out in the world. This is another step in the right direction, and I'm quite happy to see this finally coming in. We don't know what other systems or gameplay features are coming in 825, but so far, I'm pretty pleased. But I'd love to hear your thoughts and a comment below. I encourage you to subscribe to the channel for more patch coverage where I give you the lowdown and a hopefully balanced look, and well, all things Warcraft. Like the video too because you're a nice person, and I'll see you next time. Until then, stay safe, stay happy, and stay breezy.
4: Hi, I'm Hazel, and today I'm going to walk you through exactly how to get the hidden slimy battle pets of Nagitar. There are seven slimy pets available from this, and they all have this special sort of spooky glow effect going on. You can earn up to 4 of these pets per character, per week. Getting your first one will earn you the From the Belly of the Jelly achievement. You can use alts if you're impatient to get pets faster, but you're still looking at a minimum of 5 days. To start you'll need to be level 120 and have unlocked Nagitar World Quests. First, go to one of these four spots and pick up the quest A Curious Discovery and then turn that in back in town. If you've been playing 8.2 for a while you may have already done this. That quest unlocks Prismatic Crystals, which we will need to get all the slimy pets. Next you will need some Prismatic Crystals. At least one to get started, but ultimately 5 per pet, 20 per week, quite a few. You can loot these around Nagitar and they look like this. They're pretty big and hard to miss and tend to spawn near waterfalls, so if you're out just pick a body of water and keep following it down. There's a spawn point near my favorite fishing spot, behind Mesimir for Alliance, so if I'm set up fishing there for a while I'll usually loot a few. Take your crystals and head back to one of these four spots. These are the Ravenous Slimes. They look like this and they are hungry. Find a nearby critter and use a crystal on it. Not a battle pet, not a minion, not a beast, you want a critter and not an aquatic one either so no fish and no stabby crabs. I go for the non-stabby crabs, the sea slugs or flies. Once you've used a crystal on a critter, do not flight whistle or hearth or otherwise teleport because that will lose your critter and waste a crystal. You can mount and fly, but I stay low just in case. I throw a target marker on them just to keep track of them, it's not necessary but it is handy. With the critter following you, take it back to the slime, which will eat your new friend and become well fed. You can feed each of the four slimes once per day. Repeat this for 5 days, and on the 5th day, when you feed the slime it'll leave a slimy cocoon that you loot for one of the pets. Unfortunately you can receive duplicate pets, so it's not as simple as just doing this 7 times. All of the slimy pets are cageable, so you can just buy them on the Auction House if all of this sounds like a lot, or you can farm them to sell them. Prices currently average around 50k, but of course will change by region and server and overtime. After receiving a pet from a slime, it disappears until the weekly reset. Then you can start feeding it again once it respawns on Tuesday. Skipping feeding days is fine and won't lose you progress. It's also fine if you're not done by the Tuesday reset. That just means that you won't get a new slime to feed in that spot until the following week. I've read that there can be issues looting the cocoon if you fly in to feed your slime on the fifth day, so just to be safe I like to walk my critters the last little stretch of the way. And that's how you get the slimy pets. My favorite is the octopode, and I've named him Oogles because I am an adult that can do whatever I want. Thanks for watching. Stop by a stream sometime and have a wonderful, wonderful day. Bye!
0: The queen's here, and with her they've set up a Nobel She welcomes us to her palace, but not before sinking our boats Just look at the world around you, right here on the ocean floor As a guest of the queen, we're breathing, but soon we might breathe no more Under the sea, under the sea We'll meet Sivara, leading the Naga to victory and deep in the depths Where no one goes There is a gaze from below A beast in the water Waiting to slaughter Under the sea No one likes to serve Ashia. If they to be sacrificed The handmaiden that stood by her Has become such a monstrous sight But people who are power hungry They in for a worse fate. A bargaining with Sea Queen, guess who gon' end up the fate Under the sea, under the sea. With tentacles writhing, a cozo was guarding, a hachari. My, that's a lot of unstable eggs. What an explosion, what a mess. is as as topless, wriggling horrors. Under the sea, under the sea. Sooner or later, we will surrender to her decree. I guess under waves we live to serve. Love live the queen, spread the word earning her favour So we can face her under the sea A commander roars A behemoth snores A handmaiden weeps that rings to the shores A beauty turned beast A jellyfish beach The court will put on our shore A harbinger weighs The end of our days The pieces is in place Our sanity sways For the best of us We splash in the top And all oh, you got to go we
5: Leg of her journey to cover the story of the zones that takes us into the Western Plaguelands. Of course, the land wasn't always called that. It earned it. When Prince Arthas returned home from Norfrend on a quest for vengeance, he had picked up the cursed blade Frostmorn, which did indeed give him the power to strike down Malganus, but it also made him an agent of the Lich King. He returned home in a cruel twist of fate to bring about the very thing that he had fought against.
3: What is this? What are you doing, my son? Succeeding you, oh!
5: First step of the Lich King's plan was to bring back Kel'thuzad as a Lich. This former Major Dalaran was one of the first to hear the Lich King's whispers, and he worked very hard on creating and spreading the plague of undeath. The town of Enderhall was the center of grain distribution in Lordaeron's northern provinces, so the quickest way to spread the plague would be through the grain exported from the city. The grain, that what was meant to feed the people, had been used to infect them, to kill them, and even worse, bring them back as mindless undead. It was at Anderhal where Arthas and his forces had slain Kalfuzad, so that's where they had to go to collect his remains. A shroud of decay had settled over the city and the surrounding region. Plague energies choked the land in toxic fog and blotted out the sun. Despite the horrifying conditions, Andorhal—it was one of the few places in Ron, still under Alliance control. Ufer the Lightbringer and many of the surviving paladins they gathered in the city, they used it as a headquarters from which to launch attacks against the Scourge. Our saw the Paladins as easy prey, and most of them were. He stormed into Enderhall and cut down the holy warriors, the men and women he had trained with and fought alongside. But Ufer, he did not fall so easily. In the novel Arthas, Rise of the Lich King, there's a really cool scene where Uther is escorting the ashes of their fallen king and he ends up in battle with Arthas. But in the chronicles, meant to update the lore, there's no mention of the escort. Instead we read that Uther held his own against Arthas and did what no one else ever had done. He bested the death knight in combat and sent the unholy warrior sprawling to the ground. Victory was within Uther's grasp, one blow from his light infused hammer. That was all it would take to end Arfus, but the blow never came. Though Ufer was mighty, he was not as swift as Arfus. The prince recovered and struck at the paladin again and again. Arfus gave no quarter to his foe. The apprentice who had once trained on the Uther, who had once been like a son to him, finally plunged Frostmourne into the great paladin's heart. As he watched his former mentor die, Arfus felt nothing. Ufer was just an echo of some other life, a ghost from some murky... Half remembered past. A ghost that would hang out at his tomb, as seen during a questline added with the Burning Crusade. Heroes are asked by the Drenai and Krytruen to help him pay tribute to the fallen hero at his tomb on Sorrow Hill. He has heard much of the heroes of the Alliance. Ufer the Liebringer is the one who interests him the most. To pay this tribute we need to collect the mark of the Lightbringer said to be in the possession of the Scarlet Crusade atop one of their guard towers near the gates of Harf Glen. After collecting it and escorting the draenei to the tomb, the spirit of Ufer shows himself, thankful for us coming here to remember him. Our efforts in recovering this symbol, while unnecessary, they certainly touch the old man's heart. But not everyone thinks back to Ufer that fondly. On the horde side a similar quest is given, this one by the blood elf called Mailer Dawnblade. He was once a pupil to the Lightbringer, but the Lightbringer's failure with Arthas, the prince falling to the dark side, and then the fall of Quel'Thalas, it didn't exactly inspire fond memories of the teacher. That is why he wants horde members to defile the tomb by also collecting the mark of the Lightbringer, which he adds a bit of fell to. The spirit of Ufer doesn't understand why we're doing this, wonders if he somehow wronged us in life, and then he sees it in our mind. It saddens him to know that Maela's heart had turned dark, we're asked to tell him that the Lightbringer forgives him and that he understands why he believes what he does. He can only hope that Dawnblade will see the light and instead turn his energies to restoring one's beautiful for lust. Not exactly what the blood elf wants to hear of course, but in time the sunwell would be restored and Dawnblade... He would find peace with it all. Eva returned to the grave of his mentor to defend it this time and join Paladins in the Order Hall. The Ufer's tomb, it also received a visual upgrade, which got a whole lot of people speculating on what they might use it for, why it's being updated, but so far it hasn't really been used. And the spirit of Ufer. It didn't just show up at his tomb either. In Rolf the Lich King, we found out that his spirit is actually bound to Frostmorn, but apparently it can show up at more places than one. And the tower from which we collected the mark of the Lightbringer. That would also be the place of a great tragedy, to Tyrian As Arvis and the Scourge rampaged on, they left quite a bit of destruction in their wake. There were paladins that survived the assault. The paladins of the Order of the Silver Hands, they would eventually recruit people to stand with them and form the Argent Dawn. Yet some amongst them became incredibly zealous in their quest. Not helped by the fact that a Dreadlord had infiltrated the Order, so it was that some split off and formed the Scarlet Crusade. The Dreadlord's corruption and manipulations, it would ultimately push them so far that they were unable to see the difference between their enemies, between the living and the dead. They now attack anyone, thinking that they're doing the right thing. Quite a fall from the holy order it once was. Amongst their members is a man called Talon Fordring. That last name it might definitely ring a bell to you if you play during War the Lich King. He is the son of Tyrion Fordring. His father got in quite a bit of trouble as he risked his life to save that out of an orc. None other than Eitrick. This ended him up in exile, away from his beloved family, which left his son to find his own path in life, one that led him deep into the ranks of the scarlet crusade. During classic, we assisted Tyrion with saving his son. We informed Talin of the corruption that hit within his order and he tried to get away, he tried to fight his way out of there. At a tower, now named Talon's tower, the boy runs into grand inquisitor Ecylion and their forces, slain before he could reunite with his father. The body of his dead son. It pushes Tyrion out of his lethargy. For too long he is set in exile, languishing about what could have been, what should have been. After avenging Talon's death, he vows to make his son's come true, form an order which will dedicate itself to extinguishing the evil that plagues this world. An evil that cannot hide behind politics and pleasantries. No idle promise either as we would find out later down the line. Tyrion would cleanse the mighty blade ashbringer and form the Argent Crusade, taking the battle to Arthas the Lich King and Northrend and expelling its evil from the world. With his thoughts finished, the highlord eventually returned home to Harthglan, but adventurers are more than welcome to join him and help them out help out with training some new recruits, gather some supplies and uncover who's supplying the local knolls with materials to practice necromancy. Turns out that there's a traitor living right here in town which we expose, we take care of and we earn the gratitude of the high lords. Sadly though, Tyrion's reign would end with Legion as he fell to the demons and passed on the Ashbringer. While the scarlets in the plaguelands would remain quite a nuisance for the locals. For example, they've taken over the Northridge lumber mill, which Nathaniel Duma can't really appreciate. It was his father that committed his life to run that mill. When the war came they had to flee to Solwind. but now his son has returned only to see that the mill is not overrun by the undead, instead it's the fanatic crusaders that have taken their claim. He's tried many times to rout them out, but to no avail. So as an alternative, he has decided to make their lives far more difficult and needs our aid to do so. We're asked to gather some termites and release them in a mill. The creatures they will do the rest and make the mill unusable for the crusade. And as it turns out, our actions were quite successful. as during the cataclysm we see that Nathaniel he is returned to the mill of his family together with his wife Kelly and the baby boy. This is still the plaguelands though, which means that life isn't too safe but perhaps we can help out with that by scaring the massive spiders and guiding them to the soldiers. Slay some of the rabbit foxes prowling the area. And disarm the red pine steal back the lumber that they stolen in the first place. Now, the Horde, they also fight with the Scarlets, but more on their own accord, as the Crusaders, they're hostile to anyone, but even more so to the Undead, the Forsaken amongst their ranks. There's also Lillian Vos to consider. A Forsaken raised in the Cataclysm by Sylvanus' Velkir, that wasn't too happy with being brought back. She tried to run home, run back to her father. But him being part of the Scarlet Crusade and her now an undead, it made it rather impossible. He put out a hit on her, had his forces track her down, and tried to kill her. Instead, Lillian struck back with a vengeance and is now on a prowl for any Scarlet or Necromancer she can find. We too help out with that by stopping any necromancy that takes place in the area finding traces of her destruction, a path that leads into the scholomance, the school of necromancy. But just as a side note, I won't be going into details for Skolomance today, that's actually planned for next week in a very special video as the place it deserves its own time. So instead let's go back to Anderhall. Uther's death it heralded the end of Anderhal's resistance. The city it fell under Scourge's control. Arthas recovered Kel'thuzad's remains and set out for the next leg of their journey, through the eastern plaguelands onwards to Quel'thalas, bring down the high home of the high elves and use the sunwell to resurrect Kel'thuzad into a lich. Over time, some of his created scourge would regain control and find leadership under the banshee queen Sylvanas Windrunner. She and her forsaken set up base within the fallen capital of Lordaeron, west of the western Lakelands. While Anderhal, as we see in Classic, would remain under the control of the Scourge, another Lich called Arraj the Summoner, former leader of Skolomans. Now, here, Arraj is the regional commander of the Scourge forces. Nairs of the world, they go into Anderhal to mark the watchtowers, focus points for our troops to move in. Oddly enough, it also seems like the Scourge is trying to mess about with time itself. Although the bronze dragon chromie isn't too certain about who is causing it. Considering that during her special scenario we actually travel back here in time, it might very well be that it's the infinite dragonfly that's responsible or perhaps the being that wants our favorite bronze dragon dead. All the same, we might not know who's responsible for certain. We do know that temporal parasites, carrion that feed on the strands of time's altered flow, now infest the silos of enderhall. We use the temporal displacer to get rid of them as well as collect some of the watches scattered around the area demand Anderhal's damage, Chromie's acting from a different timeline is to not overly contaminate it. To continue doing this though, they need the time trinkets once strapped from when the plague hit. The watch's hands are frozen at 3 in the morning, exactly what the bronze dragon needs. As a reward we get the attuned dampener, an object that's been attuned to weaken Arraj the summoner. It inflicts some massive damage to the Lich, which we take on, of course. Even with the Dampener, he is no easy foe to bring low, or his Scarab from the Fall of Lectury. It becomes a key component for the key to Skolomans. Falls forward to the cataclysm time periods, and we can see that Anderhal is still a place of conflict—a freeway war between the scourge, the horde, and the alliance. The factions' forces are led by Death Knights, Coltira, Deathweaver, and vasarian. These two—they've always been close to one another—and while the leaders might want them to outright destroy the opposite faction. They anticipate that the other will focus on the scourge first, and they do so as well. Our firepower has upgraded quite a bit as we toss grenades around the blow up skeletons summoned by Arash the Summoner. The Lich—it's still around, probably because we never truly destroyed their tree, So the Lich—he's brought back to fight once again. Redogor is also taken out. Abominations are slain until the now Headmaster of Skolomans, Darkmaster Gentling he stands alone. Again, a very powerful foe to take on. He has us in a tight grip. But thankfully, the death Knight commanders they show up and force Gandling to retreat. He'll be a battle waiting for us inside of Skolomans. while Fasarian and Kaltira, they decide not to fight one another today. A decision that we're asked to keep quiet about. Make no mistake, their battle will come. But for now, an uneasy calm exists, which gives us the time to help out in the rest of the Plague lands. Help out the Scenarian Circle, for example. They're working very hard on trying to restore life to the land. A quest that began way back in Classic. All across the plaguelands, there were cauldrons. Eight in total. Four here and four in the east that were spewing out corruption and disease. We're asked to collect a sample at four different farm areas. There was Fellstone Field, where we also encountered the spirits of Janice Fellstone. She doesn't really know that she's a spirit, still trapped in a past life. She does ask adventurers to deliver a package, which on the Alliance side, it takes her to Stormwinds to old Emma Fellstone. While the Hordes they go to the Undercity, delivering the package addressed to Jeremiah Fellstone, the cockroach vendor. Both of them has the same story to share. Their sister sent them a number of personal effects, including, humorously enough, the deed to the Fellstone farm. They think that they are reclaiming it right now, but if their sister's spirit remains tethered to the farm and cannot rest, perhaps we will be kind enough to help her out. The package that we delivered contained half of a good luck charm that she had. Perhaps bringing her back to her will make her realize the truth of her situation, but she's also going to need the other half. This drops from her husband outside, John the jabbering ghoul that roams the farm. With the charms gathered, the spirit figures out what happened. She doesn't need the fellstone good luck charm anymore. We get to keep it while her spirit finds peace. Next there's Dawson Tears where Mrs. Dawson now roams the farm as a wandering skeleton. By reading her diary we learn that her husband turned before she did. It took everything out of her to drag him to the only place she could find that would lock him up tight and hold him. She has hidden a key on her person and hopes to get out of here, but to do so she's going to need some money. Their stuff is all in the cabinet, also locked away with a key. One that her husband kept on him, knowing that she became a wandering skeleton, Poor Mrs. Dalson, she was unable to get the key of her husband and retrieved her prized goods. It would be a real shame to let such riches go to waste. So we slay her, we take the key, we open up the outhouse to take on farmer Dalson. The go, he drops the key to the cabinet which lets us retrieve the valuables that the Dalsons no longer need. Garen's withering, that's the place where the corrupted joseph ratpaw was slain, pamela's father. That's the story we'll do when we'll cover the eastern plague lands and then the last farm area There will be the riding haunt. We find malgris deep river here, more on the tarn later. For now let's focus on collecting some samples from these cauldrons by slaying the cauldron lord and taking their key. This gives us access to the cauldron and its contents inside. With a sample, we figure out how to turn it to our advantage, introduce materials to the bubbling ooze that will negatively affect the scourge within the area. So, like I said, Mogris isn't doing so great at the Riding Hunt. The Thorn is a member of the Cenarian Circle who came to these lands to try and heal the damage done to the nature. A quest that cost him his life. But in his final moments, we help him out with slaying the suffering wildlife and return his glyphed oaken branch to the circle in either Darnassus or Thunderbluff. In this branch, much lore is stored about the plague that the scourge propagates upon the land. They will study it diligently and as we can see within the cataclysm, their efforts are definitely paying off. Only Garen's withering stands as a reminder of the days where the land was hurting. Del Garen, a member of the Argent Crusade stationed at Harf Glen, he's seen a lot of the world, a lot of battles. He fought at the battle for An'kiraj passed through the dark portal into outland and joined the argent Crusades to beat down scourge in coldest Friends. But before it all, he was a farmer right here in Lordaeron. It's time he paid his respects, but he isn't quite ready to return to the farm yet. If we'd find ourselves at Garen's withering, perhaps we could find him some mementos of a lifelong long lust. His wife Gloria's prayer book and a faded finger painting made by his daughter Andrea a lot has been lost by the people of Lordaeron, but the land is slowly healing. Perhaps with time, their souls might as well. And thankfully the other farms have pretty much cleaned up. That's not to say that there isn't work to be done. Diseased animals still roam the land and they require samples. Bad vegetables are popping up at the Dalsons farm that need removal. And then there's Zankiki, initiate to the circle. He's in dire need of some training. The goofy forest troll. He doesn't really command his druidic powers that well, despite their best efforts to train him. So they decide to have him focus on healing. At least those spells don't miss. Now Zenkiki's antics quickly made him a fan favorite, and he's popped up quite a bit throughout the storyline. He helped Mount Hygel against the force of Ragnaros. He went to Alternate Renor to investigate the primals. He's a member of the Druid Order Hall during Legion, and part of those helping magni heal the world within Battle for azeroth. With that kind of action, he'll be an archdruid before you know it. And just like that, the battle for Andahal resumes. The Alliance, they've helped out some farmers with armed themselves, and those farmers decided to initiate the attack without Fasarian's orders. This forces us to move with them, slaying Horde forces until the Valkyr show up on the battlefield. From the Horde point of view, we can see that Sylvanas herself has been keeping an eye on the operations disguised as Lindsay Raven's son. Harvest might have created some powerful Death Knights, but the bond between Fasarian and Kaltira. That's a weakness in her eyes. She's ready to secure victory and use her valkyr to make it so. With it we resurrect some of the fallen and turn them into forsaken troops. The might of the valkyr it turns the tide of battle, but the alliance is able to slay a fair few of the lesser valkyr, even take one going by the name of Aratne. These Valkyr, they don't just allow Sylvanas to resurrect more Forsaken. They also have a bargain going on that keeps the Banshee Queen out of hell. As long as she is a Valkyr, she can avoid that eternal damnation waiting for her. So, using them in battle, or even worse, like we see here, losing them in battle, is not a soft blow to the Queen. Enderhall is important to her and the Horde, though. Despite losing quite a bit of their forces, they are able to claim victory and send the Alliance running. But Coltira might have wished for a death in battle as the banshee queen has had enough. Arthas clearly failed when he created his death knights, they're still weak, but fortunately she does have some agents to help him erase that weakness. Chains grabbing through the portal, dragging him beneath the undercity. When she's finished, All his fear will be gone. And for years, people wondered what had happened with Kaltira, and it wouldn't be until Legion when we finally got the answer. During the Death Knight Order Hall campaign, the Devlord joins Vasarian on a rescue mission. Together, they venture into the Undercity to rescue Kaltira and recruit him as a follower. Sadly, they don't really give any details or even mention his time spent within the Undercity. We can only imagine what Sylvanus has done to the poor Death Knight all the time that he was down there. What is your desire? I shall serve. And with that, we've covered a major storyline that goes on within the Western Plaguelands. Like I mentioned, next week we're going to do a deep dive into the dungeon that this area holds. Skolomance, the school of necromancy. We got some beautiful machinima done by Kalis to help bring the story to life, as well as some very special guests to help voice some of the characters. That will be for next week though. For now, thank you very much for watching everyone. By all means, let me know in the comments down below which zone you'd like me to cover next. And until next time guys, see ya! So this video idea might be a little confusing based on the title.
1: So to clarify a bit, I'll be covering things that were added to the game after Vanilla WoW, but then removed from the game either during or before Legion, which is the current expansion as of making this video. Number 1. Reforging. Reforging was a feature added in Cataclysm and removed before Warlords of Draenor. What Reforging did was allow you to take a a little bit of one of your secondary stats I think it was about 40% of that stat and then convert it into whatever other secondary stat you wanted As long as it wasn't already on that piece of gear so say you had a haste and crit on a piece of gear, but your spec really likes mastery You could reforge that haste or crit into mastery to suit your gear more to your tastes. Sounds pretty great, right? Well, it was, and I still kinda miss it, but it did have its flaws as well. You see, around the time reforging was in the game, players still had the hit stat. Casters needed 16% hit to never miss bosses with spells, and physical DPS needed 8% and any hit after the hit cap was considered a dead stat. So reforging was all about hitting the hit cap as close as possible and then reforging everything else into your best stat. But hit chance was a little bit more complicated than that. Dual wielding hit cap was at 27%. Rogues had to hit the spell hit cap of 16% because their poisons were considered spells for some reason. All classes and specs had random buffs or talents that gave increases to hit chance, and alliance players had to reforge their gear around whether or not they'd have a draenei in their raid group, because their racial gave everyone in the raid 1% extra hit. So really, the problem with reforging was hit chance, and that's not even going into expertise and spell haste caps as well. According to Blizzard, The original intent behind reforging was to offer a way for players to customize their gear but in practice, it offered little in the way of true choice. Players attempting to optimize every piece of gear were well advised to look up how they were supposed to reforge an item in an online guide or tool that had already determined the optimal choice. It added yet another step to the list of things that must be done to a new item before it was ready to be equipped. Reducing the joy of getting an upgrade into a chore. If an upgrade drops, you want you to be able to equip it with a minimum of fuss it is for those reasons that we're removing reforging from the game alternatively they could have just removed hit chance and expertise from the game instead and i don't think reforging would have as many problems as it once did and blizzard did remove those two stats like at the same time they removed reforging which was kind of puzzling to say the least also speaking of reforging the yak that allows you to transmog your gear used to be a reforger before it was removed making it a lot more useful than it is today so useful in fact that most raid groups needed at least one person to have the yak to reforge quickly during raids in case someone needed to change specs or got a big upgrade number two ten man mythics It used to be that players could do the hardest content in the game with only 10 players. Again, this was only possible in Cataclysm and Miss, like reforging. Before Cata, 10 mans were like the casual mode of raiding, and both its normal and heroic modes dropped a lower eye-level gear than the 25-man versions. But for Cataclysm and Miss, both 10 and 25-man raids dropped the exact same gear. Only the 25-man would drop more gear, and the fights themselves were mostly the same. There were some differences between the 25-man and 10-man versions of boss fights, but the majority of fights were just harder on 25-man, with a few exceptions. Blizzard tried their darndest to balance the two versions against each other to be equally hard, but then decided it would be easier to just balance raids around one hard mode, the 20-man mythics we have today. Personally, I kinda wish it was like at least a 15-man or something because it's really hard to keep a large roster of raiders. Even at 10-man, all the guilds I've been in had trouble with keeping players, despite the groups I was in doing well. 20-man is just too much for us casual raiders who want to raid hardcore with our friends. Although flex rating on normal and heroic is a really nice touch. I do prefer that over the old easy normal modes. Number 3 Various Stats There have been many stats removed from the game. I will only be going over stats that were added after vanilla and then removed before Legion. First up we've got Armor Pen. Armor Penetration was a surprisingly complicated stat for such a straightforward concept. Your armor pen rating allowed you to ignore a certain amount of your opponent's armor which was only really useful for physical dps classes but the thing is most physical dps classes were balanced around the notion of their attacks doing less damage based on the armor of their target so a physical dps class with hundred percent armor pen did way more damage in a class that was more spell based all things else being equal and some classes could hit the 100% cap with trinkets and buffs. And the way the rating calculated how much armor it would ignore uh, was kind of complicated. 30% armor pen, for example, would not ignore 30% of the armor of all targets. The amount it ignored depend on how much armor they had and other armor reducing debuffs on the target to the point where you could actually only be reducing their armor by 25%. Even though your rating said you had 30%. Uh, All in all, Armor Pen was too complicated, as it didn't always do what it said it did on its tooltip. So it was removed in Cataclysm and was only in the game for two expansions, The Burning Crusade and Wrath. And then we have Spell Pen. Spell Penetration was added in The Burning Crusade and worked a lot differently than Armor Pen. You see, spell pen was a stat designed to counter resistances. Resistances were a stat that would lower magic of a certain school by a fixed amount based on its level. Uh, Say for example, a target had 50 fire resist, and you had 50 spell penetration. Your fire attacks against that target would do 100% damage, like normal, instead of reduced amount. And because resistances were a little bit complicated as well, uh, 50 spell resists would lower damage by way more than just 50 damage. And conversely, negative spell resistances were a thing too. If you were able to lower your target spell resistances into the negative numbers, you would do more damage to them as if they had a theoretical negative resistance stat. So a thousand damage shadow bolt on a target with like negative 100 shadow resist would do maybe 10 times as much damage. But blizzard didn't really like that and changed it to not work that way and then spell pen was only really a pvp stat used so that cc's wouldn't be resisted since if you had high enough shadow resist you could resist a fear for example since it was in the shadow school spell penetration was removed from the game and missed the pandaria surprisingly it lasted longer than armor pen next up we've got mp5 mp5 stood for mana per five seconds this was a secondary mana regen stat like spirit spirit at the time would restore mana and health by a fixed amount out of combat and only healing and a handful of caster specs could take a talent to regen mana in combat with spirit and only 50 percent of it at max if you didn't cast a spell for five seconds your spirit would start to regenerate mana as if you were out of combat So, some healers would actually try not to cast for 5 seconds as long as possible to get more mana back from Spirit. But MP5 was a stat that just gave you mana back every 5 seconds, no matter what. No workarounds like with Spirit, so it was actually a pretty valuable mana stat, and some of the healers even preferred it to Spirit. Well, actually, MP5 gave mana back every 2 seconds, not 5. I think it was only called MP5 as a reference to the 5 second rule uh, Spirit had. MP5 was removed in Cataclysm and they just kind of made Spirit better to compensate. I'm also pretty sure MP5 was added in the Burning Crusade, so it was only in the game for two expansions. Next up we've got Expertise. This was a stat added in the Burning Crusade that acted like a second hit stat for melee classes in that it reduced the chance a target could dodge or parry your attacks. For a short time, I think only in Miss, Blizzard made Hunters neat expertise as well when they added physical ranged attacks, dodge, and parryable. But then Blizzard removed it in Warlords of Drainer because it was a super lame stat. Next up, Resilience. Resilience, added in the Burning Crusade, did different things in just about every expansion. But what it was supposed to do, generally was reduced damage from players in one way or another. So it was purely a PvP defensive stat with no uses in PvE. And the reason PvP gear was generally looked down on when used by Raiders, because it had this dead stat on it. Resilience was changed to PvP Resilience in Miss, and hasn't appeared on gear since. And next up we've got PvP Power. When Blizzard changed Resilience into PvP Resilience, They also added PvP Power to the game. PvP Power was supposed to be a free stat on PvP gear that would increase the damage and healing you did to players in PvP, and its stat total was not taken from the gear budget, making PvP gear with this stat actually usable in raids and stuff. And PvP Power was a pretty prized stat in PvP for the one expansion it was used but then it stopped appearing on gear and wad when blizzard changed how gear works in pvp so technically it's still in the game it's just a dead stat now and finally we've got multi-strike multi-strike was added in Warlords of draenor and then removed at the end of the expansion with the legion pre-patch meaning it only lasted one expansion multi-strike was a stat that gave pretty much everything you did a chance to do a second attack or heal only at 30% of the power of the original hit. And this second hit could crit independently of the first hit, giving you a chance to do even more damage. Pretty much every class could benefit from Multi-Strike, and it wasn't a complicated stat like Hit or Armor Pen. So why was it removed? Well, because it wasn't all that different from Crit. You only had a chance to multi-strike with abilities instead of a constant increase to damage or healing like haste or mastery could provide. And Blizzard didn't think players really wanted two crit stats, so they just removed it in Legion. Number four, previous expansions content. Sometimes previous expansion content gets removed from the game for time-gated reasons like Garrosh Heirlooms, Mists Pandaria, and Warlords of Draenor Legendary Quests. Also, their challenge modes and challenge mode gear. Island of Thunder solo scenarios, the battle for Undercity quest, and old raid items not having their set bonuses working anymore. Some of these things kind of make sense as to why they were removed, but there are also plenty of reasons for them to still be in the game as well. Challenge modes scale down your gear and are pretty tough to complete. I don't see why you wouldn't be able to do them in a newer expansion other than Blizzard not wanting to have to go back and balance the dungeons around abilities you would have during the current expansions. Old set bonuses not working was to prevent OP interactions with new abilities, and having to go back and change all the previous set bonuses to work with your current character could be a pain in the ass. So it makes sense to just not let them work anymore. But it was a lot of fun to use those old set bonuses during time walking weeks. Which you can't do anymore with the change. And I can't really see a reason why they would move the legendary quests or the solo scenarios. Some weird people like to grind out useless legendaries and they don't work at max level anyway so uh, just why not leave them in? Number 5. A ton of useful guild perks. Guild perks are still in the game, but there used to be a lot more and better ones, like the ability to teleport your entire raid to your location, 5% of all gold you looted being duplicated and added to the guild bank, and of course, the one removed recently, mass res. All healers can mass res by default now, but it was nice having DPS with the ability to mass res the raid, seeing as most of them have abilities that allow them to drop combat and survive the wipe for quick recoveries. I've gone over the guild perks i were removed in more detail in other videos, so I'll just leave it at that for now. Number 6, Marks of Honor. Now this is actually a good thing that was removed from the game. Marks of Honor added in the Burning Crusade were badges you could get from Battlegrounds. You got one mark for a loss and three for a win. Most gear rewards required honor and Marks of Honor to purchase, meaning you needed to do a variety of battlegrounds and not just whatever one gave the most honor. Marks of Honor are the reason Alteric Valley was changed to its current form. Before Marks of Honor, AV could last for days since the battle didn't end until the enemy general was killed, and the battleground could be entered by people of all levels with even things in the battleground for low-level players to help out with. With Marks of Honor, though, this never-ending battleground meant Marks of Honor for AV were almost impossible to get, so they made a bunch of changes to the BG so that the match could actually end in less than an hour or so. And thus, the AV Zerg was born. Number 7. Daily Quest Hubs the daily quest was added in the Burning Crusade, and even had an entire island dedicated to daily quests. Then in Mists, Blizzard removed the 25 a day limit on daily quests and gave you more daily quests than you'd ever want to do, and made them mandatory to unlock simple vendors to actually spend your valor points on. If you wanted to do end game content in Mists, you needed to do a shit ton of dailies everyday, and for some reason... Uh, People grew to despise daily quests because of this. Blizzard wasn't really sure why though and just assumed people hated daily quests and hubs so they toned it down hardcore in Warlords of Draenor and all but removed the endgame daily quest hubs in Legion. World quests are basically the alternative to daily quest hubs and I think are much better designed anyway. Number 8 gold from garrison missions garrison mission tables giving gold will forever be known as the largest gold inflation in the game's history everyone who bothered to do this core game mechanic could make way more gold than any previous expansion allowed you to with the minimalist amount of effort it was so good in fact that blizzard nerfed the gold from garrisons every chance they got and just about all of warlords of draenor's two patches before finally just taking away gold missions from the garrison and legion number nine zone pvp when i say zone pvp what i mean are battlegrounds like Wintergrass, Tol Barad, and even ashran i guess big server-wide battlegrounds that you have to queue up for to get exclusive rewards for winning In Wintergrass and Tol Barad, you got access to daily quests and raids for your faction for winning. For Ashran, I think you got like a loot box or something. Technically, these things are still in the game, but there's not a Legion equivalent to them. So it's uh, basically not there anymore. Number 10, Hard Mode Raid Triggers. This was a thing added in Wrath and not used very long before Blizzard added heroic difficulty as a toggle option. Hard mode triggers were a way of doing the fight that made it harder, and if you succeeded, you got better gear. One of the first ones was in a vanilla raid, I must admit. Depending on the order you killed the three bugs in AQ40, you got different loot. But it wasn't really used again heavily until Wrath. In the Obsidian Sanctum, for example, if you killed the boss with all three drakes in the room still up, you could get more loot and a mount. In Old War, almost all of the bosses had a hard mode trigger, with the Memoron fight having one of the most famous ones of simply pressing the big red button in the room. While the idea wasn't really used after heroic and mythic modes were added to the game, hard mode triggers did return for one raid boss and miss. In the Terrence of Endless Spring, a four boss raid, the first boss in the instance had a hard mode trigger, which would give you loot that was eight item levels higher than normal, and even had an elite tag on the loot itself. And the way to trigger the hard mode was to simply kill the council boss with the hardest of the three adds being killed last, similar to how the bug trial boss had its hard mode tied to a kill order. But since then, hard mode triggers haven't really been used. Number 11, Ammo Stacks of 1000 This next thing is kinda a stretch. You see, ammo for hunters has been in the game since vanilla WoW. But during the end half of Wrath of the Lich King, ammo, which for the longest time could only be stacked up to 200, was changed to stack in stacks of 1000, increasing by nearly 5 times what a hunter could carry around making trips to cities to buy more ammo a less frequent thing. Of course, this change was only in the game for a very short time, as ammo was removed from the game in the very next expansion of Cataclysm. I just thought this was a really funny quality of life change made to an annoying class mechanic, uh, which was made at the end of that mechanic's life cycle. Alright, and for the most part, that's it for this video. There are a few other changes I didn't go into detail about, like many class abilities added and taken away in the time period I set for this video, but I literally have a whole set of videos on this channel dedicated to that subject already.
2: And this brings us to the end of episode 101. Thank you as always for listening, but I don't want to leave you without, as always, thanking the contributors to this episode as we have So So Breezy with his great new features in patch 8.2.5. Hazelnutty Games with how to get every secret slimy pet in Nazjatar. Charm with her song The Eternal Palace Under the Sea. Novel 87 with the first part of a series involving the Western Plague Lands. In this episode... We have the story of the Western Plague Lands Classic to present. And the last bit you heard just now was Hero Marodex with his 11 things added to the game after Vanilla and then cut before Legion. Why Legion? Because the video is from 2017, which makes Legion the current expansion when he recorded the piece. I think he even says that in the video. Like I said earlier, thank you very much everyone for listening. The next episode, episode 102, will be out on August the 13th. I will probably have it ready at the time of the maintenance cycle starting, so you can look forward to that. The episode after that, 103, will be released On August the 27th, so vanilla or classic, so classic launch day, it will be a episode where I focus on classic and vanilla. So if you are interested in that and want some classic and vanilla information, this is the episode that you want. Also, I would like to take the time to remind you that I am streaming on the Twitch Corpse Run Radio channel every Monday, Wednesday, and Saturday by default. And on the other days, I might stream, but the three days I just mentioned, Mondays, Wednesdays, and Saturdays, are the scheduled stream days. Usually, the time of the stream will be 9 a.m., to noon eastern time sometimes i'll add a second one but that depends on my my schedule my irl schedule and if there is a second stream it will be reflected in the schedule app or widget on the site on the twitch site page you can see there it's going to be 4 p.m eastern time So that just is a little information for you there. If you want to see some some streaming by me, you are more than welcome to join me. You can give the channel a follow to see when I go live. And with that, have a great week. Thank you so much for listening, and see you all in two weeks. Bye, everyone. I hope you have enjoyed your time with the Forsaken of Cops Run video this episode. Should you have an idea for a little segment of your own, I would love for you to become part of the cast. Or if you are a creator of Warcraft original or parody music and would like to be featured on the show, contact us at copsrunradio mail at com or on Twitter at copsrunradio. We also have a Facebook page, facebook.com slash copsrunradio. Contact information for our contributors is available on our website crr.potbean.com, along with the links for the segments played on the episode and other information. Corps Fun Radio is a non-profit fan podcast. All segments, music, and sound effects are used with permission.
1: Thank you for listening. Now go out, my minions. Let nothing stand in your way. Until next time.